is up and welcome to a brand new edition of the Bruin Bible. Will Decker, your host, joined by lead writer, main man, aka the madman in the house to my right. It is a Sunday. It's glorious. Uh, We've got a lot of great things going on. We are brought to you guys by Underdog Fantasy and Bet Online. Make sure you use promo code UCLA-LAFB with both of those prestigious gambling companies that rep LA Football Network. The bet I'm taking for the game, man, it's such a simple one. It's a .5 total yards bet. One yard equals a win, and this is an early bet that they've got for Baker Mayfield today, playing the Lions in Detroit. I don't know what's going to happen in that game. I don't know what's going to transpire, but my guy, I'm taking Baker with the .5. I think that might be the safest bet I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I am riding it. If you're going to gamble, do it with the best possible odds you can possibly get. As long as Baker's healthy, he's going to hit that. So make sure to check it out. Uh, Underdog Fantasy, UCLA, LAFB is the promo code. You can match up to $500 on that. So check it out, guys. A lot has gone down for UCLA football, man. A lot. We got some rumors going around. We got a new transfer in the transfer portal coming. We got a new general manager, which I'm actually really excited to talk about that and what that means for UCLA and how they go forward with that. Uh, we had a coach leave. We can even talk the hardwood if we've got enough time on what's going on with that. You know, back-to-back wins into a tough loss at Arizona. But it's starting to, you know, you see the team picking up momentum, which is what we're looking for, which I really like. But, Madman, how are you doing on this Sunday, man, uh, as we go into another week of January? Doing well, Thriller. Obviously, it's a it's a fun time of the year. The college season has sort of sunsetted, but it seems like there's news every day with college. And then, of course, we're in the teeth of, the NFL playoffs. I know your your beloved Niners are still going strong here, and so uh, just should be fun to see how this all shakes out. But never a dull moment in Bruinland, uh, Thriller. You know, just when you think it's uh, it's sort of the calm before the storm, the storm says, "Not so fast, my friend. It's time. The time is now." Yeah, man. College football, uh, to our pleasure, is now a 365 day a year topic, and it really fits that. Uh, shout out to Jake Brendel for the 49ers, the center of the 49ers, former UCLA Bruin. We got to give mad love to him right there. The news that we got today, and we were on a text thread, you know, you, myself, our founder, and the godfather, as we refer to him, Ryan Dyrude. It was a rumor that came out from a very credible source today. Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports. He does a lot of the NFL draft stuff. He's got a lot of, you know, connections within the NFL, if you will. He's been hearing that a lot of coaches with a lot of these open vacancies are kind of gauging the interest of Chip Kelly and if he would come in to be an offensive coordinator. And although I think that may be unlikely, I can't completely waive the possibility of him leaving, especially with all the coaching departures he's already had on his staff, how everything's transpired, how the fan base has reacted to Chip in a lot of ways. Some of it fair. I'm, you know, you know, my stance on the Chip Kelly thing. We've talked about it plenty of times, but give me your take on, these reports coming out as you wrote a fantastic article on LA Football Network today, man, on what chip going to the NFL, how likely is it? Where do you think he would go if he were to get hired? 
And what are the overall odds of this happening, Madman? Yeah, Thriller. No, it's it's certainly an interesting topic here. And at first glance, you know, there's sort of a, is it likely, is it not likely? And, and the first instinct is to say, mm, this really isn't very likely for a couple of reasons. One is Chip is 60, you know, so the age isn't quite in his favor at this point as the league is getting younger and younger in terms of head coaches and teams with a willingness to kind of hire guys in their mid to late 30s, early to mid 40s and what have you. Second, obviously, since Chip has revolutionized college football more than a decade ago now at Oregon, 46 and 7, the blur offense, he's been 63 and 69 as a head coach when you factor in the Eagles, the 49ers and the Bruins of UCLA. And then third, you know, the obviously the critique of Chip in terms of being sort of relationship centric, whether it comes to media, whether it comes to recruiting, whether it comes to fundraising you know, whether it comes to being kind of charismatic and galvanizing a team. And so when you put all of those things together, you say, hmm, that feels a little unlikely. But then when you juxtapose that on the other side, where you say, look, Chip is still someone who is an extremely respected mind nationally. Uh, Obviously, Will, you and I have been elbow deep in obviously his uh, trajectory over the last few months. And we've seen so many national media kind of come to his aid as, as a very respected figure. He had a very interesting interview with Pat McAfee uh, a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about the future of college football and the configuration of the super conferences. And so much of that was extremely well-respected. And then when you sort of couple that with UCLA the last few years, having perennial top 30 offenses, in 22, obviously, with Dorian and Zach Charbonnet, fourth in total offense in the entire country. And this is without the litany of five-star blue-chip guys that some of the folks in the SEC or Ohio State or Michigan or even USC has. And then when you look at Chip's weaknesses around relationship management, fundraising, recruiting, when you look at it from an NFL perspective, and this is for an offensive coordinator job, He doesn't have to do any of that. He can just kind of be the X's and O's guy that he's extremely good at. And then when you sort of look at the NFL game and the college game, becoming more and more similar offensively, more and more college concepts coming to the NFL game, so much along the lines of kind of pre-snap movement, pre-snap misdirection is sort of predicated in both games now. It feels like, oh, that's kind of a sweet spot for Chip as well. And so then you start sort of, dialing up the likelihood a little bit. Um, and I think if this were to happen, Will, I still think it's it's unlikely like you. I would probably give this a 25% chance of happening. I think 75% he stays in college, stays at UCLA for another year. But if this were to happen, I think the eye that I would have is with wherever Bill Belichick goes, just because of their relationship, uh, decades-long relationship we've known about Coach Belichick coming to UCLA, talking to the team, spending some time in Westwood. Obviously, Tom Brady over the years has come to UCLA. There has been a really decades-long friendship between those two. Belichick obviously being more of a defensive guy, Chip being an offensive guy, and Belichick kind of being a guy who really kind of trusts minds over the years. So you could see a scenario if it were to happen that, hey, maybe Chip becomes your offensive coordinator of the Falcons for Bill Belichick or somewhere that Belichick goes. So That's kind of how I take a a look at the landscape right now, Will. I think it's a 25% chance that this happens, but I think 75% he stays at UCLA next year. 
Yeah, no, I love the takes, man. I love the percentages. I think I'd be more, I think it'd be like 85%. In my opinion, he comes back 15%. He would leave for an NFL job. And I'll give out two scenarios. And I'll give you why I think he's got to at least consider this. I think Belichick, you just take that phone call if he does reach out. I mean, he is arguably the greatest head coach of the of football. In general, we've seen in our lifetimes. This guy is a living legend. He's going to be breaking the wins record with his next job. So it is a coveted position. Falcons got a lot of pieces to work with. Or what about, you know, Southern California? Who's got an open job here? The Chargers, right? What if Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh takes the job? How crazy would it be first if Jim Harbaugh and Chip Kelly were working on the same staff after their Stanford-Oregon rivalry? But lo and behold, Chip has told us many times in the very few press conferences and we've seen, he loves Southern California. His wife loves Southern California. What if that offensive coordinator job is available at the Chargers? He could stay here. He doesn't have to move. If Vrabel gives him that call, it eliminates pretty much everything he hates about football, whether it's the recruiting, whether it's, you know, the fundraising, all the different aspects you mentioned. He's very much a guy that would rather be in the lab crafting up his offense for, the, you know, an upcoming opponent or scouting, you know, what's going on with the opponent in the future. So Jim Kelly can just focus on what's going on with the X's and O's. I think that's an easier job on his shoulders and something he may desire more than if they can get within salary distance of, you know, striking range, you know, who says that's not a better job for him at this point in time at 60 years old, taking the load off of him and things like that. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for me as somebody that sees it from the outside looking in, Chip Kelly, in a lot of ways, no, he didn't win a national championship. No, he hasn't done a lot of things, you know, since he's returned to UCLA. But this guy has essentially been – He's done everything you really can do at college football without winning a national championship. I think he's won multiple Rose Bowls with Oregon, you know, won multiple BCS big games out there. The one thing that kind of got away from him in the coaching career is what's happened in the NFL. It's kind of like the girl that got away from you in high school, you know, the one that you kind of hold on to and think about all the time, even though you didn't get it, you know, get it right. So for Chip Kelly, this could be a moment where he's like, you know what, I want to correct my, you know, interpretation of what the fans think of me in the NFL and get back to that as an OC. Do you think those are fair points with Chip Kelly and evaluating maybe his return to the NFL? No, absolutely, Will. I completely agree with you. And I think you and I are both pretty aligned that, hey, there, there's a Belichick call there that you kind of have to take. And, and that could be a really nice match. And again, as you said, I think the other one is the Chargers. And it would it would be so ironic if he and Harbaugh teamed up or he and Vrabel now, obviously, the Chargers have Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator. I know he's getting some looks in terms of offensive coordinator for the Bears, offensive coordinator for some other roles. And I know the Chargers have actually declined allowing other teams to interview Kellen Moore. So it'll be interesting to see how the Chargers' new head coaching hire impacts their position on Kellen Moore right now, which seems to be very strong. But having said that, if there is an opening, with the Chargers, you don't have to move. You're right there, and, and there's an opportunity to kind of jump into the NFL. I mean, it's it's much in the same way will kind of the Jim Harbaugh story, right? He's he's sort of succeeded very much in college, obviously the pinnacle of the sport at this point with the national championship in Michigan, but it's always been his dream to be able to go back to the NFL, join the likes of Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer and Pete Carroll to be able to win a national championship as well as a Super Bowl as a head coach. And I think for Chip, while it's not necessarily winning a championship in either sport, but I think for Chip, it would be incredibly satisfying as if he were to say over the course of his career that he revolutionized college football and then also had an opportunity to revolutionize pro football. And I think that would just be an incredible 
sort of resume builder. And I know Chip is a very polarizing figure, Will, when it comes to the fans and when it comes to local media, just given his just demeanor and personality. But the one thing that's undeniable is that he is so respected by basically all other groups when you talk about national media, when you talk about senior management at the NFL, when you talk about his own players. I mean, there's just so much positivity uh, about Chip and his mind and his values and how he thinks and what a creative kind of person that he is. So it just goes to show he doesn't let too many people in. It's kind of his inner circle. But if you get to that other side, you know, there he's just un- unanimously respected. So I think for those reasons, Will, I couldn't agree with you more. It would be enticing to see what's out there. Yeah, and I think I would be basing. I know the Chargers want to keep Kellen Moore because on paper he's a very good OC. But I think if you're giving the car keys to Harbaugh or one of these guys, you're going to give them full, you know, absolutely hey, your staff. You can get who you want. So a lot of good points there, man. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Chip. Nothing surprises at this point, man, given what's going on with that. We got a big transfer today, man. A guy from Notre Dame. We were becoming like Notre Dame's like second home for these players, man. It's unbelievable. We've gotten four players now from Notre Dame. This one was a big one. And I know people are going to be like, well, he's only had two college starts. He's been there for a while. Marco Carmody, six foot five, 291 pound offensive lineman. This guy was behind Joe Alt, who is, if you don't follow the NFL draft, this guy is like unanimously up there with the Penn State offensive tackle and like a top 10 pick in the draft. Like this guy, Joe Alt, is going to be a sensation at the combine, everything and everything scouting. It's going to be a big deal when Joe Alt comes out for the draft this year. So this guy was behind him on that. We needed a line depth. This was very, very huge for UCLA. That's the area we struggled most. You know, last year, it's the one time we really have not been able to generate the run game we've typically seen with Chip Kelly or, you know, just the pass protection in general, where it felt like our quarterbacks were running for their lives at all different times. We couldn't even give enough time in the pocket for Jay Mike to get out there and make plays in the field. So offensive line was a big one. I was happy we addressed all the players that we got in the secondary. I was super excited about Rico Flores, you know, the new kicker from Cal. But I was still kind of like, man, we need to get some offensive linemen. Carmody is that guy. And it's it just the Notre Dame pedigree, former four-star out of high school. This guy's going up against some of the top defensive players in the country every single practice. You know, iron sharpens iron. You know, these are the type of dudes I want off the transfer portal. You know, low risk, low reward or low risk, high reward type of situations. And Michael Carmody screams that for us. What are you feeling about this new commitment out of the transfer portal, man, with Michael Carmody? Oh, I love it. I mean, Michael Carmody, you you mentioned it, Will. Number one, it's the pedigree. If you're good enough to kind of get recruited by Notre Dame, then you must be doing something right. Number two, it's the fact that he was a four-star, so there's a base to be able to work with. I think number three, he's had some ups and downs in his career, kind of waiting his turn. And so that's going to make him even more hungry to come in and contribute and be professional and be very disciplined and serious right away. And it addresses the ultimate position of need. I think, Will, you and I talked about it with Wayne Cook just a couple days ago, that we were looking for two more players in the portal at the offensive line position to be able to fortify each position and add a little bit of depth. Carmody is, you know, item one here. And we're halfway through now. Uh, in terms of that need. And again, it comes down to that zone read running game upon which everything else is predicated upon really comes down to having offensive line play. It allows you to balance the run in the pass. It allows you to go vertical as well as go laterally. It allows a playmaker like J. Michael Sturdivant 
to be able to make a huge impact on the game. I mean, we saw the difference in the LA Bowl when the offensive line just blocked a little bit more. What a difference that was in the second half in terms of playmakers down the field. So I love the Carmody signing. And I think there's so much conversation right now, Will, around what UCLA has not done in this offseason that I think we've forgotten about the things that they have done. And they've fortified the secondary. They've brought in help at the edge with the likes of H.E.M. Pong. They've now brought in uh, offensive line fortification with the likes of Carmody. J. Michael Sturdivant is coming back. They've bolstered that with Flores, with Kyle Ford. T.J. Harden's coming back. Ethan Garbers is coming back. There's a really nice nucleus here for UCLA. I think one more offensive lineman, one more edge rusher in the portal, and they should have a surprisingly sneaky roster going into 2024. And the one thing I love about Carmody in particular is Notre Dame's style of play is a very Big Ten-ish style of play. It's power running, play-action pass from under center. That is what defenses are going to be sort of gearing up for in the Big Ten when they play the likes of a UCLA. And so him being used to that system, let's not forget Notre Dame historically plays Michigan, plays Michigan State, plays a lot of the Big Ten. So I think that also, that seamless transition now of going from kind of a Midwest heavy school to a Big Ten school, I just love what I'm seeing there. Great fit. He fits in academically, fits in culturally. Really, I think another home run signing by this staff over the course of the offseason. Yeah, we still have an outstanding boom. So we got another boom on the way. I'm hoping that's another offensive lineman to add to Absolutely. It. You know, and I, I was going to allude to this point later in some different pods, but I'm excited to be talking with you on this. Edge rusher, I agree. I always want to add talent there. But a part of me is just excited to see the young guns and Grant Bucky and Collins, a champion, kind of take the reins. Like, yes. he's going to need to get reps, going to need to get out there and kind of start. I think these guys have very high ceilings as edge rushers, given their pedigree, given their recruiting profiles and what they brought to the table. I think there's a lot to be just like really, really excited about when it comes down. No, to absolutely. Will, there's some tremendous athleticism. Both these guys have a have a, a huge motor. They, they've got a ton kind of vertically, horizontally, explosive feet. You know, they're really good with their hands. They're raw. I mean, but I think that there's so much upside there. And then when you talk about sort of supplementing that in the front seven, you know, we're, we're talking about Madrano's coming back, you know, and Oladijo is there at the linebacker position. And then John John Vaughn's in this sort of hybrid role. I mean, there's a lot to like. I know Leatu Latu is a once in a 10 year kind of player for UCLA. And obviously the Murphy yeah. twins were his partners in crime so much to replace there. But the cupboard is not exactly bare. And I think that that has sort of proven itself. And now with the system in, in place, with the coaching staff and the continuity that's taking place here, I think UCLA is going to be sneaky good in terms of really biting some opponents that, have, that will underestimate them in 24. I'm actually very excited about where this roster is shaping. I actually think the defense, and we have a murderer's row of a schedule. We know that, you know, we're going to Penn State. We're going to LSU. We're playing, you know, the big names within the Big Ten next season. But this defense, and I know we lost the Murphy Twins in lots, so you can't really replace those guys. But with the coaching we still have in place with a Ken Norton Jr. there and Malloy coming back is now the defensive coordinator, knowing these guys as well as anybody on the line and everything there, I think the drop-off will be smaller than people think. Yes, I agree with you. I think the drop-off will be smaller than people think. I think it'll still be a very, uh, you know, physical, effective front seven. 
Will it be as good as last year? No, nobody is saying that. But I think we're going to be top 30 in the country in a lot of regards when it comes to that front seven. And the secondary, I mean, man, Kirkwood plays like that. Davies plays like that. For sure. And we got these new safeties coming in. This defense can be sneaky good next year. So I'm excited to see what we got going on there. Uh, really fun storyline coming out. And a lot of people that have a lot of questions on what this actually means. Darren Ursher was named the general manager of UCLA football. And I want to implore everyone to read this article on The Athletic. It's Sam Kahn Jr. It's talking about the rise of college football GM, how personal head, uh, personnel heads uh, became program-shaping roles. The main quote we got out of here, and it was from you know Texas Tech's Zach Grant. And basically what it says, my job is to manage and build the roster and evaluate players and find players through the lens of the head coach. So that is essentially what it is, you know, for college. It allows Chip Kelly, who a guy who notoriously know we know doesn't really like recruiting in the first place, kind of allows him to focus on what he's good at with the X's and O's and player development. While Ursher can kind of come in and recruit and help out with that. Ursher's a guy that's been around in a lot of very big time programs. He worked at Auburn. He worked at Boise Oregon. State. You know, as director, previously director of recruiting and player personnel, and then was at Oregon this past time around. So he's worked with some big name brands, big name college football teams we all know and love. And for him to come to UCLA, I was very impressed with this hire because I think it's a guy that can come into these living rooms and sell this program in a way that Chip Kelly may not be able to do. And now, you know, to the, the NIL era and what today's football looks like. How much of an impact is this for UCLA, Madman? And how excited are you for Ursher to come out? and be uh, the GM for UCLA football. Oh, very excited, Will. And my, my first reaction, I have to sort of give an anecdotal story here, is every time I hear Ursher's name, one of my college buddies, that's what he used to call Usher, just for fun, was Ursher. Yes. You know, so every time I hear Ursher, I hear my buddy, talk, you know, sort of sort of describing Usher. But uh, regardless of that, <laughs> I, I think Ursher is a tremendous hire, Will. Really, GM, to your point, is a synonym for director of recruiting in a lot of ways. And I think the fact to me that Chip Kelly has had the foresight, Chip Kelly has had the self-awareness to say, hey, I need to be able to supplement someone dedicated there because I know this is really not a strong suit for me, I think needs to be commended. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to me, Will, if this was an outcome of the year-end conversation that Chip had with Martin Jarman. I know so much of that conversation was, you know, skewing towards the negative and the fact that they had a conversation and Chip was coming back and obviously the fans went crazy. But I think this was a positive outcome from that conversation of uh, Jarman saying, listen, we need to sort of bolster uh, our recruiting, even from just a philosophical perspective, a process perspective, and really having dedicated resources to it. So the fact that Chip is putting those resources uh, at play here, I think is absolutely significant. And then the, when you overlay that with Ursher, you talked about it. Oregon, Boise State, Auburn. These are big-time programs uh, when he was there that really had to emphasize recruiting in very unique ways. And when you think about Oregon, obviously selling the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest with Nike, you know, there's a different kind of sell there. And then when you have to sell Auburn as sort of the other school in Alabama and come here you know, obviously you want to just be guy number 237 at Alabama or you want to build something here at Auburn versus a Boise State. Look, you could go to, you know, one of these power five schools, but look at this group of five power that we're building over here. You have an opportunity to be a legend at a place like this. Three very different sales pitches, three very different universities that have different 
resources, different value propositions of why a player would want to go there. And the fact that Ursher not only had all of those experiences, but was successful in all of these three areas gives me a lot of confidence that he's going to be extremely successful here at UCLA. If you can sell, no disrespect, if you can sell a Boise State and you can sell an Auburn, you know, in terms of a total package, you can certainly sell UCLA in terms of everything that it offers. So again, another sneaky good move here, Will, in terms of what uh, the team is doing. They've made some really good hires. I think setting up Malloy as defensive coordinator, bringing in the players that they have. Now Ursher uh, in this general manager, director of recruiting role, really identifying where the gaps are and filling those needs. This has been a really quietly effective offseason that I don't think is getting the attention that it deserves. Very excited to see where this goes now over the course of the spring and heading into the 24 season. Yeah. And I know, you know, people have their complaints and frustrations with everything going on, but I can't deny that we've been stacking some nice little wins here and there to kind of build hopefully momentum moving into 2024. So a lot of good things going on there. Second question I got for you. Uh, have you seen Usher in Vegas yet, man? That show looks incredible. I would love to go check it out. He's gonna be the I think I think we should do it. Stuff. I mean, we're we're headed to to Radio Row here in a couple of weeks. I mean, we might as well just uh, sort of uh, piggyback off of that. Will I mean I, that that sounds phenomenal. It's Usher, baby. That's yeah. all I gotta say. To that man. it's Usher. <laughs> you know, uh, I can never I, I can never take Usher as general manager of UCLA seriously ever, just because of. That situation. He's going to do a phenomenal job. He's going to do a bang up job, but I'm always going to chuckle every time I hear his name. He's got to have a guy following him with a boom box. Just yeah. <laughs> at all times. <laughs> Be the perfect kind of, you know, uh, recruiting pitch if you're Darren Ursher moving forward. Uh, can so, Will, you I got to ask you as, yeah, we, yeah. as we sort of segue, and I'm sure you're, you're going to bring this up, but I can't help myself. I'm too excited here. Yes. Is in the event, and we'll go back to kind of topic one here, in the event, that chip in that 15% to 25% decides to go to the NFL. Oh. What do you think the team should be doing in terms of, you know, their go forward strategy? I think, I think I would call David Shaw first, if I was being honest. Um, I think, you know, we, we talked about our coaching candidates when we really broke it down. You know, Grubb, the OC at Washington, was a name we both kind of shared that we really liked. He's got the OC job at Alabama. That's a pretty damn good job. You can't really blame him for taking that. And I think Sharon Moore is kind of just waiting in the wings when it comes to Michigan. If Harbaugh leaves, he's got to be, you know, one of the top. He's going to get an interview at the very least. The players love him. Maybe it's a little bit of a fall off, but you kind of keep that same energy and vibe from a national championship team in there moving forward. You saw the love he had for Michigan, that Penn State, you know, post game. That was something you couldn't fake. And I think recruits really relate to realness. And Jerome Moore brings a lot of realness there. So I think he will succeed at Michigan if he's there. So for me, David Shaw is the first guy. I think he represented Stanford in so many different facets that were at just such a high level. And I think if you can do that at UCLA, I know the Big Ten would want that, just a guy that they could have and, you know, rely upon because he's so good. I mean, we saw him at the Pac-12, you know, media day two years ago. And, you know, he's just so – he's so put together on so many different fronts. And I know his tenure at Stanford didn't end well. His son actually plays for UCLA, so I know he would entertain the idea. For me, that would probably be the first guy I would reach out to. Um and then, I mean, New Eyes was kind of the wild card, right? Because I think we 
you've shared this vision with me, right? Where it's like you want Jerry to be eventually the coach down the stretch. A good piece of maybe, you know, keeping him on staff if Chip were to leave is get his dad there, right? Have him kind of develop him, wait in the wings maybe for a year or two, and then maybe pass the baton to him if he's ready for it or, you know, what other coach there may be. Um, and then lastly, man, a, a name we didn't bring up, but a guy who clearly wants to coach again. This would be just all time if he came back. How about Pete Carroll? Yep. yep. How about that, man? He loves Southern California. He's USC's guy. If he came to UCLA, do you know what that would do for this rivalry? That would be that would be front page news in LA, just given how big Carroll was during his tenure with the Reggie Bush, Matt Liner era. So those are the three names that come to mind off the top of my head. I'd probably have to go back and evaluate some of the top assistants that could be credible for those positions. What do you think about those three? And who's no, I, you know, I love it. Will. I mean, obviously it was a, it was a topic of discussion on LAFB today for sure. And we, you know, we were discussing it all day. You know, I, I love the Shaw pick, you know, because of just who David Shaw is. Obviously his son is, is playing yeah. at UCLA. I had an opportunity to kind of sit near David Shaw at the LA bowl and just how much pride he had when his son came up to him after the game, big hug, big family moment. I mean, he loves being a UCLA parent. And I know he's been getting interviews in the NFL with various franchises. I believe the Falcons, the Titans, you know, different different folks have been uh, interviewing him, even the Chargers, uh, I believe. So, you know, Shaw just understanding how to navigate an academic powerhouse. I mean, there's no greater academic powerhouse than Stanford. And the fact that he was able to uh, take the reins from Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh was the visionary there, no question about it. And then create this sort of golden era of Stanford football over the course of the 12 years. You know, he had five uh, top 10 finishes. There were four 11 win seasons, two Rose Bowls. I mean, really the golden age of, of Stanford football that David Shaw had. Just a, a great leader of men, a presence when it comes to recruiting an understanding of the complex dynamics of a really elite university. So I completely agree with you there. Ken Niamatololo would have been phenomenal, Will, uh, just kind of director of leadership, similar situation, 15 years at Navy, you know, led them to multiple top 25 finishes, but he now has just taken the role at San Jose State. And so I would have loved for UCLA to maybe even try and pump the brakes a little bit there to see what exactly was going to happen with Chip. But Coach Ken moves on, and, and we're so happy for him. I love the Pete one, Will. I mean, and I think there's two of them that you sort of bunch together. One is Pete Carroll, especially as he's trying to decide what he wants to do next. And I think he's kind of very much in an exploratory phase. And so, you know, how, what an ultimate sort of twist to the end of his career it would be where, after all, he built USC football Everyone forgets this from the ilk of John Wooden. He used the Wooden principles, the pyramid of success, uh, Coach Wooden's real philosophy to build a philosophy uh, for USC football and turn them into a dynasty in the 2000s. And a sort of a twist to that, even if it's not Pete Carroll, Will, if we're, if we're venturing into the fun, what if we brought Danton Lynn back? I mean, the ultimate, you know, the, the heist and then the heist back. I mean, this is sort of the world of college football that we're in. Danton Lynn, I think, is someone who is very ambitious. He's a young guy, cares about title, cares about prestige. Well, he went from a million to two million to SC. What if he goes from two million to five plus million back to UCLA? You know, this is sort of the world that we're in now in, in college football where nothing completely seems safe. And then, Will, I, I also love the new Heisel. If this is going to be kind of a one-year bridge position uh, to kind of set up what's going to happen beyond 2024, 
nobody loves UCLA as much as as Rick Neuheisel does. And if if he got that call to sort of stabilize his alma mater for a year, I think he would jump at that chance. He's often, Will, the most misunderstood coach in the history of, of UCLA football. Everyone sort of points to the 21 and 29 record. Everyone points to him sort of provoking the rivalry when, you know, he famously declared the football monopoly in Los Angeles is over in his opening press conference. And then a couple of years later, USC added the word there to that quote and then, you know, sprinkled it all over different billboards. But I think what folks don't realize is he's the one who recruited Brett Hundley. And in the 2011 season, he redshirted Hundley because it was the best thing for Brett Hundley, even though his job was on the hot seat. And how many coaches would have said, you know what, let's throw him out there, kind of a Dante Moore-ish situation this year because I need to be able to save my job. And he didn't do that in the name of Brett Hundley, his prize recruit. And then, of course, Hundley went on to immense success. I honestly think, Will, that if Neuheisel got one more year in 2012 with Hundley, there is a chance that Rick Neuheisel might still be coaching UCLA just because of how effective a recruiter he was and he was starting to kind of build some things. And and Mora really kind of was able to take the credit of, of what Neuheisel built in so many different ways. So I love those uh, choices, Will. And, and then another one that, that could be very interesting as a guy, a bridge choice who's here locally, Brandon Staley. You know, here's a guy who... After three years with the Chargers, one year with the Rams, he's been in L.A. the last four years. Didn't Things didn't end very well. But guys want to know, is there a path for me to the NFL? Do, do my coaches really understand the NFL game? Do they have the relationships and the connections there? You can't argue with Brandon Staley being in the NFL game the last seven years. So I think regardless of whether Chip goes or not, I think there's some really interesting scenarios in this sort of bridge way that UCLA can do. And then if they want to go beyond that, to your point, Will, I think Sharon Moore would be a terrific candidate to look at more closely. So it's never a dull moment. I think this sort of chip watch in, in the next couple of days and, and couple of weeks will be interesting. I think you and I both agree it's, it's a low probability. But even if it does happen, I think it opens the door for some really interesting possibilities moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be a fun, not only just a couple of days, I think this year is really going to define the Chip Kelly era because the buyout's going to be a lot simpler. I think with UCLA, they, they're going to be more, you know, trigger ready to make that choice. Yep. If Chip were to, you know, flounder through a tough Big Ten and regular season schedule. I mean, it is a bare schedule, as we know, so it's going to be very tough. It's going to be fun to watch, man. I don't know what's going to happen with that, so we got to pay attention moving to that forward. Um, you want to talk some UCLA basketball now? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. I'm excited, man. So tough, tough loss. I mean, we can't deny it. UCLA eventually blew a 19-point lead on the road in Tucson to University of Arizona. I know we hate Arizona. It just kind of is what it is. They are the team that, you know, basketball historically we've talked the most trash to, things like that. We had them on the ropes. It didn't really go down. But there's momentum being there. It's undeniable to see what UCLA is doing dating back to last Sunday when we played Washington, got a big win at home, had a huge 15-point deficit comeback victory against Arizona State where we showed a lot of the positives that we can bring to the basketball court. And, you know, the guys are just doing their jobs at a higher level. We've One of the bigger things that I've noticed, we found the playmaker, at least in some regards, in Dylan Andrews. You know, he's averaged over five assists over the last three games, which has been huge. Just he's making plays for other people around him, and it's showing – 
Stefanovic is starting to shoot the basketball at a high level, which is a godsend, a godsend for UCLA with, after how bad they've been from the three-point line. Stefanovic stepping up. He's shooting over 50% from three in his last Pac-12, uh, three Pac-12 games. He's been awesome. Bona's just doing the little things, man. You know, he was dominant in that Washington game. He was dominant against Arizona State. Seven blocks. When you see that number for any player at any level, you're going, wow, that man was a – a beast defensively, to put in other words. So it's, Bona has been killing it. Just little guys stepping up here and there. And I know the loss was bad to U of A. It sucks. That team's a top 15 team in the country, though. And we were right there with them. It shows you the potential of this team moving forward. Mick's got his guys in a different gear after that Utah loss. I think it's impressive, given what we discussed last week, talking about them. Talk to me about what you've seen over the last week for UCLA basketball. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a revival here. And, and you know, who would have thought it uh, about eight or nine days ago after, you know, the debacle uh, against Utah? Two of the three now victories, and the third game was absolutely so close. I think you hit on the first really major point, Will. And the one thing that we've been kind of harping on has been the lack of true point guard play for this team all year that has been resulting in a lack of offensive identity, a lack of flow, a lot of clogging of the lane, you know, difficult uh, sort of offensive possessions. And Dylan Andrews kind of jumping from about a three assists per game average to north of five has really been the table setter for this team and giving them kind of a hierarchy and sort of an offensive structure, and that has been evident from day one. Andrews is doing a great job. The shooting is still kind of coming along. It's here and there, but his value is just so much greater in terms of being able to distribute the ball. And the one thing I'll say is, Will, what impressed me the most about Dylan Andrews is the fortitude and the resilience that he showed, particularly on the road against Arizona State, a team that presses very, very aggressively, plays the turnover game. Arizona State forced USC to have 15 turnovers in the first half of their matchup just two days later. The fact that they were able to come back from 15 down and be able to break that press on the road and have the resilience to be able to do so, that is a huge kudos to Dylan Andrews, his ability to stay poised, and his handle. I think the second thing, Will, you mentioned it, particularly in building that 19-point lead against Arizona, the shooters shot, you know, and, and, you know, Stefanovic started that game four for four, three for three from three. Max started really hot in that game as well, built this huge lead. They cooled off in the second half. I think they got a little tentative playing more of the clock and playing more of the score than playing kind of free flowing ball and ended up biting them in the end. But Will, what a tremendous amount of progress here in this last week. The team is still sitting at eight and 11. But again, like we talked about, this is an opportunity now for development to get into the Pac-12 tournament and really be able to make some noise. At the end of the day, there's only one Pac-12 team ranked in the top 25 in this conference. And guess what? UCLA went into their building and built a 19-point lead. So in, even in a neutral site environment, that completely sort of changes the odds. I think UCLA sort of moves forward now and says, listen, as long as we continue to bring or hard hats defensively, anchored by Bona and his ability to clog the lane, rebound, be an intimidator, and not pick up those cheap fouls. That's another thing that we've seen over the last couple of games. Bona has resisted that temptation to get that cheap reach foul out of the way or just you know a foul where, hey, sometimes you got to be able to concede the two points to be able to stay on the floor. Sometimes you have to lose the battle to be able to win the war. Those were some things that Bono was really struggling with, being hyper-aggressive on every contest, on every sort of one-on-one -on -one situation. He has 
sort of become much more intelligent and mindful about when he's going to get super aggressive and when he's just going to play kind of straight up defense. And that anchor has really played volumes for UCLA moving forward. So as long as they bring their hard hat defensively, they have sort of an offensive identity with Andrews running the point, and they can just have the confidence to hit some open shots. This is a team that can beat anybody in the Pac-12 and still have an opportunity to get that automatic bid from a Pac-12 perspective. So excited to see Mick kind of inspire these guys. We wondered a little bit, Will, where this team was going to go after that Utah game, especially after Mick's kind of hard-charging, get-after-it personality. You wondered if he had kind of maybe even broken these guys' confidence and lost them for the season, but it sounds like it's turned the other way. They're starting to build confidence, and all indications are, Will, that Mick is also sort of balancing his aggression, like we talked about, where he's still super intense, but he's starting to build these guys up through some positive reinforcement. And so kudos to Mick Cronin for changing his style, given this team. If they had played this way since the beginning of the season, Will, this team would be far above 500, and really we'd be having a different conversation here. But with six weeks left in the season, there's still time to build that momentum for that conference tournament and, and be able to make some serious noise in March. Yeah, and there's still areas where I think they could be better at it in so many different regards like we talked about, man. I think Burke was a guy we really delved into on the first podcast. Shoot the ball more, buddy. Like, the last two games, he is three or four from the field, two of which are three-point baskets. This guy needs to shoot more. I know he's new to not only UCLA, but the country as a whole, and he's learning a lot of different things. But he's got to get the quick trigger going on the offensive end, man. I want to see more shots from you, Burke, because I see the potential in you. I see you can be great. V-Day, can we get more minutes of V-Day? I think everyone in UCLA is pretty much has that unanimous opinion of get V-Day on the floor more and see what he's done. Six points in five minutes against Arizona this past weekend. So he really made a spark. It's kind of that sixth man for UCLA in a limited amount of minutes. Brandon Williams has been very good, too, recently. That Washington game, he really stepped up. Arizona State... He's making plays left and right. So there's little guys that you just see the raise in play, and it just makes so much of a difference when people are doing their jobs and doing it very effectively as well. So a lot to talk about with UCLA basketball moving forward. But, Madman, just a lot of fun covering this with you as always, man. It's a great time talking UCLA football, UCLA basketball. I think UCLA football is a lot to be optimistic about, which we're very excited about. We're going to have you covered, you know, the entire offseason, guys. So stay tuned for that. We're on ESPN Radio, as you guys know, on Fridays, middle of the day. Any parting thoughts to this wonderful podcast, man? Well, I just, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting next couple of days and weeks, obviously, with the football team. And just when we think we know, things change. But I think the trajectory for football is definitely uh, on the upswing here. I think that the doom and gloom that a lot of us maybe felt in, in no, late November and through December, I think... There's a, there's a lot of an underrated power to this offseason that UCLA has demonstrated in little steps, but it's through a sequence of little steps that big changes happen. So I like, I'm, I'm really enjoying the direction of the football team. And then basketball, again, I think they're still trying to find themselves. Long story short for me, Will, is I still would love the dream lineup that I would have for basketball is having just Bona or Burke on the court as, as kind of the center anchor. And then having kind of a V-Day play the point forward and then kind of going three-guard lineup and kind of opening it up a little bit more. I'm still waiting for that. 
we saw flashes of that against Arizona, and that's enabled a bit of that lead because they were able to space the floor a little bit more. I would love the, the team to sort of experiment with that lineup. Hopefully they do uh, over the course of the conference season because that could be a tremendous unlock going into the second half of this season as well as next year. But all in all, we fight to live another day as we do the gutty little Bruins, the mighty Bruins, and we got you covered, football, basketball. And, hey, keep an eye on the women's team. Uh, Corey Close's team is doing an absolutely phenomenal job. Tough one against SC a couple days ago. Bounce back. Huge win against Colorado. This is a perennial top five, top four team. This is going to be a team that's going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament with a legitimate chance to cut down the nets and win the whole thing in March. So we have some really exciting things to think about here across all three of these great sports. Yeah, we wanted to talk about how good the Pac-12 was in football this year in their final year of existence. Women's basketball, my goodness, USC, Colorado, UCLA, Stanford, just the who's who of college basketball is out there for the women's sport, man. So it's very, very cool within the Pac-12. Madman, great doing it with you as always. We're going to be back later this week, guys. Make sure to stay tuned. Bruin Bible, we are